The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. For those of you who've been following our podcast, you know that we've been dealing with a series entitled The Kingdom of God. As part of that series, we have looked at the doctrinal foundations of the church based upon the Articles of Faith of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We've seen through this series that these Articles of Faith, which were adopted in 1847, over 175 years ago, are grounded upon the Word of God. And that's why they're still our Articles of Faith today. We've already seen that the kingdom of God that's under discussion is that same kingdom of God that was at hand in Jesus' day. We dwell in that kingdom today, but in order to dwell in that kingdom, we must have the proper doctrinal foundation and the proper spiritual outlook. Join us today as we begin to look at the rules of the kingdom of God that will permit us to dwell together in peace and love in the church of God here on earth. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
We have been through all of the doctrinal foundations that we have here in the way of our Articles of Faith at this church. This morning, having gone through these doctrinal foundations, I want to turn our attention still in view, in our view being the kingdom of God, but I want to turn our attention to what some might say is the hard part, and that's living in the kingdom. Living in the kingdom. You see, Jesus came to establish a new kingdom with new rules. Now, don't misunderstand me. His ultimate purpose was to die for the sins of his people. And he came to fulfill that covenant of grace that was purposed in the mind and purpose of God before the foundation of the world. But as he came here, as a part of his work, he, was to, he came to establish a new kingdom with new rules, that is, rules which would turn the world as they knew it in that day upside down and is still turning the world as we know it upside down today. And there are some, let me just say this, there are many churches in the religious world who have, to one degree or another, the truth of God's Word. And we're told in Acts chapter 2 and verse 24, I believe it is, that those on the day of Pentecost, I'm sorry, 2 and 42, on the day of Pentecost, that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. You've got to have the doctrine. We went through the doctrinal foundations. But it also said, and in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. There is more to the kingdom of God than just the truth of God's Word. What I mean by that is just the doctrinal truths. There are many churches that have some of the doctrine, maybe some that have quite a bit of the doctrine, but there are very few churches that have any real concept of the kingdom of God as, as Christ was implementing it here when he came to this earth. So I want us to go back to the Gospel of Mark. I know I spent several weeks on the Gospel of Mark preaching through it here a while back. But it's still in the Word of God, <laughs> so we done, didn't preach it out of there. But also, I want to go back to the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark and pick up a couple of verses there that we'll use as our jumping-off point today and maybe for another Sunday or two. First of all, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, we read exactly what Mark is about to write about. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That contains so much theology in it right there, I wouldn't have time today to break it all down. Just understand that what he's about to tell us is the good news. That's what gospel means. And the good news is not about some new social order or some new political uh, revolution. It's about Jesus Christ, who, by the way, is the Son of God. Not just a new rabbi, not just another teacher. You know, they were always having different rabbis and different teachers and philosophers stand up and come up with some new truth and some new things and new ways of thinking about things. There were all kinds of philosophical camps in that day, both in Greece and in Rome and in Judea. But here we have Jesus Christ, who the Jews thought and still to this day say was a great teacher. And listen, the, the Muslims think he was a great teacher. There are many people who believe he was a historical figure and a great teacher, but what we believe and what Mark believed when he was telling us this is that he wasn't just another philosopher. He wasn't just another rabbi. He was the Son of God. God had come down 
to earth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was unique. That was unique. It shouldn't have been unique to the Jews because it had been clearly forecasted from time to time, but they didn't understand it. And you also need to remember that at the time, at the time Christ came, there had been a 400-year gap where no inspired word of God had existed. From Malachi to Matthew, from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New, there had been no inspired word from God about 400 years. And so they were making their living and they were philosophizing and adding to and sometimes taking away from the Word of God. And there were all kind of camps that we're not going to go into this morning. But notice after Mark writes about several things, John the Baptist, the baptism, we get down to verse 14. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Notice what he says here. He didn't say there's coming a kingdom one day, but you're going to have to wait a couple of thousand years for it. He didn't say that if you'll just throw off the Roman yoke, if you'll just rise up and revolt, then the kingdom of God will come. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. It is at hand. And remember that Mark initially said, this is the gospel. This is the good news. It's the beginning of the gospel. And it is this gospel that forms the basis of the kingdom of God on earth. Now, what is the kingdom of God on earth? I understand, as we've said many times, the kingdom of God in one sense is every elect child of God everywhere. But that's not the kingdom Jesus is talking about here. He knows about that kingdom. He came to die for that kingdom. He's talking about a kingdom that is visible through the spiritual eyes, but not through the physical. Remember what he told Nicodemus? He said, Verily I say to you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But the corollary to that, or the counter to that, is that if a man is born again, he can see the kingdom of God. And it is a spiritual kingdom. Notice the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, it is here for us. As in here and now. Not as in sometime later. Notice what he said, the time is fulfilled. That idea of fulfillment is the idea of completion, of consummation. The time has come. Remember in Galatians when Paul is writing in the fourth chapter over there, he said, when the fullness of the time was come. There was a time that in the mind and purpose of God was going to be the fullness of that time. And when that time came, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. That time was here. Jesus says the time is fulfilled. In other words, all that has transpired up until this time has been the prelude. All of the prophets, all of the law, all the writings of David, all the Psalms, all of the, the wisdom literature that was so prevalent in that day, all of this has been the buildup. 
And now the thing that all the prophets had longed to see is finally here. You remember what we read about over in the book of Hebrews in the 11th chapter, that great hall of faith there about Abraham and the fathers? It says about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in verse 13 of chapter 11, these all died in faith not having received the promises. You see, they hadn't received what they knew was coming. When Abraham took Isaac, his son, up on the mountain to slay him and told those servants, I'm going up with my son and I and the lad will come down. Even though he knew he was supposed to slay him according to God's command, he knew that God could and would fulfill his promise. Isaac was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ in many ways, but ultimately that ram caught in the thicket was the type of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> he saw them. He said he hadn't received them yet. But notice it said they died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That which they had not received, but had seen afar off, is here. Jesus says, it is here. It is at hand. Over in Isaiah, the second chapter, we read about, you know, I often wonder how much those old prophets really understood about what they were prophesying, Brother Mackey. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know that they, I don't think they had to, I know they didn't have a full understanding of it. But notice in Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah's about to prophesy about the very thing that Jesus says now is at hand and, by the way, is here today with us. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established. Now, that's a shall, not a maybe. That's just as strong as any other shall in the scriptures. He shall save his people from their sins. This mountain of the Lord's house shall be established. Now, where is it going to be established? In the top of the mountains. <laughs> and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. <laughs> Notice that this is a, it would be like you were climbing up Mount Everest. And you get to the top of Mount Everest and you think you're at the summit and there's another mountain that's higher and greater than Mount Everest up on top of the mountains. <laughs> the Himalayas are high. They're some, I guess they're probably, they are the highest of all the mountains because they contain Mount Everest. But, but this mountain is higher than that. And this mountain of the Lord's house is, it sounds suspiciously like the church. Listen to this, verse 3. Many, it says at the end of verse 2, all nations shall flow unto it, not just Jews, not just those who are the descendants of Abraham, but those spiritual uh, Jews, those who are pricked in the heart, those who are circumcised in the heart and not in the flesh. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem." See, this is talking about this coming kingdom that Jesus says now is here, which is the church, the visible aspect of the kingdom of God. Jesus is here now to tell these people that were listening to him that that very mountain is come to them now. It is here. And we are living in that age. It is here for us. And 
listen, this is, this is, the, this is the, the great part for you and I and for them in that day. You know, if you were going to worship God publicly in the way he wanted you to worship him in that day, you really couldn't do, there was only one person who could go into the Holy of Holies the, to, see, to experience the Shekinah glory of God. And he only could do it one, one time a year on the Day of Atonement. He could go in there. And, you know, if you were a Gentile, if you, if you were traveling to, to Jerusalem from somewhere in Europe or some other place and you were a Gentile, you couldn't even go into the court there uh, of the temple. You could, there was only one limited place where you could go. But he's saying to them, I've come to change all of that. Because not only is the kingdom here, it is here for us, it is also near to us. It is near to us. You understand that's part of what at hand means? It's, it's here and it's accessible. It's accessible to us as children of God. It's near because the king is here. So wherever the king is, there's the kingdom. You know, it makes sense, right? Wherever the king is, there's the kingdom. Remember what Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord himself shall give, give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You know, one of the things I love about Hebrew words, I, I'm not trying to improve on the translation when I go back and do a word study, but I just love looking at some of those Hebrew words because they are just so simple. They're just so simple. You know, we think about the... Uh, the last name Johnson, okay, Johnson. It, it most likely, I don't know all the uh, etymology of it, but it most likely came from somebody being called John's son. You know, pretty simple, right? Um, the Hebrew words meant something, and they were simple. And that word Emmanuel is still a word today, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, E-L is God. Emmanuel means with us. You put them together, and that capital first name, proper name for Jesus Christ is God with us. They could not understand that in the day of Isaiah. They did not get it like they get it now, like the disciples would get it during Jesus' ministry. Because, but, but, but what has happened is, is that now the king is with us. God is with us. He is Emmanuel, and, and, and he is the, the one who is to be uh, our sacrifice for sin. Over in Matthew chapter 1, look with me just for a minute there. It's a familiar, part of that's a familiar passage. We always go to Matthew 1, 21, but let's start in verse 20. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20. This is the time when, when uh, Joseph is considering putting Mary away privately because she found her to be with child. Uh, and turns out he didn't understand it was of the Holy Ghost. But notice in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 1, While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And praise God, that's exactly what he did. And we read that a lot, but now let's go farther. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. If there's any question in your mind about what Isaiah 7 and 14 means, 
It means Jesus. He tells us right here. He is here. He, the kingdom is here because he is here. It is near to us because Jesus has come near to us. And it's a different kind of kingdom with different kind of rules. We'll, we'll get to that hopefully before we finish this morning. But, but see, in that day, they were all mixed up about it. Like I said, you know, and part of me is, is sympathetic to those, uh, the Jewish nation in that day. They hadn't had an inspired word from God in several hundred years. But they had the Old Testament. They had the writings that were inspired, but they hadn't had any new inspiration. And they had been struggling. They had gone through a phase where they were independent once again under the Maccabees. The Maccabees had thrown off the yoke of the uh, Seleucid kingdoms, which were the descendants of, uh, of the remnants of Alexander the Great's empire. And they were wicked and they were oppressive. And, and the Maccabees rose up and they became uh, an independent nation once again. And that's what they were looking to do again. You know, ultimately, Pompey the Great from Rome came in and they made a, a devilish deal with him. To uh, one, of the, one of the kings there uh, signed a treaty basically with Rome to put that king on the, on the throne. But, you know, that's what Rome did. They would, they would come in and and they would either conquer you by force or they would conquer you by politics and by diplomacy. And that's what they did. And now the Romans were large and in charge and very oppressive and very much against that. They were being a little, you know, they allowed the Jews, they'd kind of come to a detente where they allowed them to do their worship in their own way. But then Jesus comes on the scene and some thought it was, he was there to be a political leader. And that's what they were looking for. They were looking to throw off politically the yoke of Rome. And now their king was here. So surely this is the time. You know, they kept asking him these questions in Luke chapter 17 and verses 20 and 21. Luke 17 and verse 20. It says, When he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation." That's what they were looking for. They were looking for a new kingdom to throw off the Romans and to, and to set up another kingdom kind of like when David and Solomon was here. But he's, he's, he's disappointed them here. And, and listen to what he says. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of God has come near to us because the king is here. But he's not the kind of king that we were looking for. He's not the kind of king. Even today, do we not struggle with that? Listen, I wish the Lord would come down uh, and, and physically come to this earth and become president of the United States. <laughs> I'd be happy to make him king of the United States. <laughs> king of the world. He is the king. I'd be happy for him to rule and reign. But see, that's not the kind of kingdom that he set up when he was here. He said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. I realize people are looking for some kingdom to come one day and be set up here on this earth, but the kingdom of God is here now. It's in us. It's in us. It's wherever you are, the kingdom of God is. And, and, and this, in that sense, it's with every child of God, but the visible aspect of the kingdom is his church. You know, the disciples always were, were getting mixed up on that. <laughs> Even, you know, these were, the, these were the Pharisees questioning him. Look with me over in Acts chapter 1. Brother Buddy covered this, I think, last week. Look in Acts chapter 1 as he's about to, dis, to ascend back to heaven 
after his resurrection. We're told in verse 3 that he showed himself alive. He, he gathered with his disciples. He showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now notice what they did. It said, being assembled together with them, he commanded them certain things, told them to wait for the Holy Spirit, and, and, and talked about being baptized by the Holy Ghost, which happened on the day of Pentecost. And then in verse 6, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Don't have patience with those who are trying to set times and dates and fulfill prophecies and talk about some thousand-year reign and, and a kingdom that's coming one day because even the disciples mixed it up. Even the apostles and the disciples got it wrong. You notice what his response was? He said, they said, when are you going to set up your physical kingdom, your political kingdom here on earth? He said unto them, it's not for you to know. <laughs> it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses unto, ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Notice what he's saying to them here. He's essentially saying, quit worrying about some political kingdom. Quit worrying about the politics of your day. He didn't say disengage. We're blessed to live in a country where we can affect who our leaders are by voting. We can affect who our leaders are by campaigning for somebody. But do not let that be your focus. Your job, church, is not to get the right people elected. Your job is not to get the right kind of people thrown out of office. Your job is to be my witnesses. And that's wherever you are. He, notice he covered everything. Here in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria, which was up north, and ultimately uttermost part of the earth. That's where we are today. I would say compared to where for them in that day, if you told them about a place called North America, they said, well, that's the uttermost part of the world. <laughs> it is. <laughs> that's where we are. Wherever we are, we are to be his witnesses. He says, do your job and let me worry about mine. <laughs> Quit worrying about some political kingdom. Because you understand the kingdom of God is something that I came First of all, to die for, and secondly, to set up the way I want it set up. The kingdom of God is here for us. It is near to us. And beloved, it should be dear to us. It should be dear to us. See, because it is near, it is perpetually accessible to us. And therefore, it should be perpetually dear to us. You know, there is no higher goal higher priority in our lives than the kingdom of God. You say, is that your opinion, preacher? Well, look with me back over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, in verse 33. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. We're going to go back in a minute and look at these things. And we're going to see that no matter what thing you can put out there, whatever thing there is in your life, it ought not take priority over this kingdom that Jesus came to bring at hand. You see, you remember what we said before about the mountain of the Lord's house? 
It shall come to pass in Isaiah chapter 2, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. You know what that means to us? A mountain on top of the mountains. That means the kingdom of God is the highest place on earth. The highest place on earth. So I ask you this question. Why isn't every single regenerated child of God here this morning? <laughs> or filling the pews in some church this morning? And the reason is because it is not the highest priority. And it's not just coming to church. That's not all there is to the kingdom of God as we see. Because it, it's within you. It's within us wherever we are. But if it's the highest place on earth, then it ought to be the highest priority of our lives. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. By the way, it didn't say seek ye only. I'm thankful for that. He knew we'd need to have jobs. He knew we'd have things to do. He knew that, that there would be times our ox is in the ditch. He knew that. He knew there'd be other things that we would just enjoy, and that's okay, as long as they don't take priority over the kingdom of God. So, so look at the context here back in Matthew chapter 6. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. Let's back up to about verse 24. Here's the struggle I have. I don't know about you. No man can serve two masters. <laughs> For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is just it's a word, it's a Chaldean word. It's, it's not Hebrew exactly. But on its most basic level, it means confidence. And, and in that day, it meant riches. And in other words, confidence in the treasures of this world, you see. Confidence in the thing. You know, we've all got jobs unless you're retired. And even if you're retired, you probably got a job, you know. We all have things to do that are important and that are necessary. But I was telling Sherry this past week, I think it was, I get that verse so much better now than I've ever gotten it before. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.